The Start On Demand. On Demand. The Winnipeg Jets have made it official. They've clinched a spot in the Stanley Cup playoffs and the countdown is on to the Winnipeg Whiteout. As the Bear Clan in Winnipeg continues to pick up 225 needles a day off the streets of our city, we'll discuss the science behind meth. Is it the drug that makes one violent or is it the need to get more of that drug that leads to aggressive behavior? We'll talk movies as Mackling McNabb, Ron and Forte all watched that Motley Crue movie on Netflix, The Dirt, while I went out to see the box office champion, Us, and got an extra $168,000 kicking around? If so, you can take a tour of the Titanic. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Monday, March 25th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on 680 CJOB. And we've all heard of the Bear Clan and the wonderful work that they do, but sometimes it has to feel like a losing battle. Oh, they, they say they've been spotting more and more dirty needles no matter where they look every single day. The number on average that they're pulling off the street, these are used drug needles, most of them associated with meth. 225 per day being pulled off Winnipeg streets. As Global's Allison McKinnon explains, the Bear Can says the problem is so bad they believe they're on pace to recover more needles this spring than they did all of last year. The warmer weather is a relief for many, but beneath the melting snow lies piles of trash, including used needles. The Bear Clan's executive director, James Favel, says it's something they've been dealing with all year. The IV drug use in our community has become, like like we were saying, it was epidemic, epidemic last year. It's even worse this year. Favel says the needle problem is directly linked to the absence of a safe consumption site. I mean, we don't have safe injection sites, so people are doing it on the street. Um, you know, there's the, the needle reclamation program through uh, WRHA is is there, but it needs to be more stringent, I think. This year, the patrol group has already picked up 20,000 needles. In 2018, they picked up 40,000 over the course of the whole year. When you consider that 2.1 million needles were given out last year and we only found 40,000, I suppose that's uh, an insignificant number, comparatively speaking. But in our community, to find 40,000 syringes is not insignificant in any way, stretch or form. The Bear Clan wants to see more being done to help combat the issue. Any supports we can get, you know, via uh, safe consumption, uh, better needle exchange, more drop boxes, any of those kinds of supports are are helpful and, and we want them. If you do find a needle, you can call the city at 311, phone street connections, or if you want to pick it up yourself, use thick puncture-proof gloves, a pair of tongs, and place the used needle syringe side down in a plastic container and throw it away. Allison McKinnon, Global News. I've actually seen in some parks and in places by the tracks, people have actually put um, upside down, would it be pop bottles, that like as a place for you to deposit needles should you find one? I, I wouldn't be picking one up, but at the same time, I can appreciate the desire to clean up your neighborhood park or your back lane or what have you. But the wow, that's a lot. That's a lot to be combing through this spring. Yeah, and and to and to see this in your community is going to be difficult and something you don't want to see. But I, I think you're right, Loren. It'd be very difficult to not want to clean up For after sure. this mess, especially yeah. if your your kids you want your kids to play. Uh, then the you know the bastards win well, if you if you give up your park to the druggies and the sure. junkies, right? Years ago, I remember doing stories when I first started with Global, like in the early two thousands, and when needles were found in a park. 
or especially a park with kids, it was like a top news story because it was so it was still unheard of, no matter the neighborhood. And it was so upsetting for people to imagine their kid potentially coming across that needle and stepping on it. And to now hear the average is 225 per day just in the last few weeks alone. It's probably more like thousands because they're just now seeing them after the snow starts to melt, melt right? And the common nature of it? Come on. I want to give a shout out to the Bear Clan as well. Saw James Favel and a bunch of the Bear Clan at the Cooper Nemeth Memorial Hockey game this weekend. There were three games in memory of... Uh, the young man who was uh, murdered in Winnipeg uh, several years ago, the Bear Clan Patrol, such a big part of searching for Co- Cooper. And uh, I think that's when they really came on the scene for a lot of people, became a huge part of the of the community. And a, a shout out to everyone who attended the game, the, the Nemeth family and everyone who volunteered. It was a spectacular event at Gateway Community Centre Sunday afternoon. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we've been telling you this morning how the Bear Clan is on pace to pull a record number of used meth needles off of Winnipeg streets. In part because meth use is on the rise in Winnipeg, and we know that's contributing to all sorts of problems province-wide. We're seeing a rise in theft. We're talking about a possible rise in violent crime. But what is it about this drug that completely changes the user's personality? Or is that just the stereotype or perception we have of meth? Dr. Ruben Baylor is with the U.S. National Institute on Drug Abuse and joins us on the phone now. Good morning. Good morning to all of you. How are you doing? We're good, thank you. We've been talking a lot about meth for the past few months, and so we're trying to figure out what, what happens to the brain or the body once a user tries this drug. Well, you have to remember that meth is on a spectrum of drugs that we call stimulants. So on one end, you have caffeine, which is a mild stimulant, atypical stimulant. Then you have something like cocaine. And on the same uh, curve, you have methamphetamine all the way to the right. It's a very potent stimulant drug. That means that it overstimulates the brain, and particularly uh, areas uh, that are in charge of processing uh, emotions and feelings of uh, anger and fear uh, can be overstimulated. And this is why in some individuals, depending on the person, this doesn't happen for everybody. It can lead to violence, anxiety, and uh, psychosis and things like that, uh, paranoia. When we talk about the violence, is it fair? I think there might be a stereotype in the community here that it's always going to lead to violence. Is that the case or is it just with do we know what percentage of users might go down that path? Well, we have to back up a little bit and, and realize that uh, every substance of abuse really is associated with some level of violence. In fact, if you look at the homicides, alcohol, of course, because it's so prevalent, is the drug that is uh, most associated with violence and uh, homicide murders. So all substances of abuse really alter the brain, the way it functions, and it's uh, more difficult in the presence of a substance uh, to process emotions and to inhibit prepotent impulses. With methamphetamine, that's a particularly intense uh, effect. But it always depends on the person. It, it, uh, it doesn't change a person. If a person has an underlying uh, inclination or propensity for violent behavior in a particular circumstance or time of his life, uh, then meth would uh, exacerbate that tendency. But it doesn't create uh, something from nothing. It just overstimulates the brain, and it depends what kind of brain we're overstimulating to see a particular time, the type of effect, of, of effect. So is it truth or myth, Dr. Baylor, that that meth is more addictive than some other drugs that we're used to discussing? Meth, it is very addictive drug, much more so than other drugs. It, it has to do with the pharmacology of the drug, the way it impacts the reward centers of the brain, the way it spikes dopamine. It generates that a, a very profound learning association between the behavior 
and the pleasure that is uh, uh, felt and perceived by the user. Uh, and that conditioning is particularly powerful with a drug like meth, or uh, it also happens with heroin and other opioids. So meth is a particularly addictive drug because of that, because of that first uh, experience uh, that uh, or, or impact that the drug has on the reward center. You're using the word, the term reward, so the person who takes it wants to get that feeling back. Is that why we then see the erratic behavior down the road? Why they might, you know, want to steal to get money for for that drug or to get back to that reward feeling? Right. It has to be mentioned that uh, this is only the, what I just mentioned is the the acute uh, phase of the trajectory of use. Uh, the violence behavior, particularly if we do experiments in animals, in mice, uh, it, de- it really requires multiple exposures to the drug to see an increase in aggressive behaviors uh, in mice. So, and the same thing happens with, with humans. Why? Because it's not enough for this altered perception of reward and processing of reward in the reward centers. There is this ever-expanding wave of dysfunctioning, the addictive brain, that begins with the reward centers, but eventually it starts impacting other areas of the brain, particularly the, the frontal lobes, where we ponder the consequences of our actions, where we, uh, we are able to inhibit the, the, those uh, impulses that come from the amygdala and from the more primitive parts of the brain. So this is what meth does. E- eventually, it starts uh, impairing the frontal lobe functioning and the individual, uh, many individuals, not all of them, uh, they are an affected social cognitive function. They have a lower executive function and particularly the ability to self-control to inhibit those prepotent impulses becomes weakened. Like that's right, where right from wrong, Dr. Baylor? Like the, yes. uh, my ability to understand right from wrong basically yeah, among lowers? A, yeah, among other things. And to understand the cues, the contingent cues in the environment that tell us perhaps it's not the best thing to do one thing or another and how to make decisions. That, that is the high cognitive function that becomes impaired, particularly in chronic meth users. If you use a lot of meth... Do you then experience uh, dysphoria after you're, you're done, like whereas in you just can't enjoy life anymore without it? It really depends where you are in the trajectory, what you experience. There is the spectrum of experiences, and it also depends whether or not you are experiencing withdrawal symptoms. Also, the withdrawal symptoms of meth include things like aggression as well. So it's not just the direct effects of the drug on the brain, but when you withdraw the the drug, uh, the brain could experience aggression, anger, irritability, anxiety, depression, paranoia, delusion. So all these things, depending on uh, who the meth is interacting with, uh, are, are potential outcomes and it depends where it's we're talking about an acute effect of the drug a chronic effect of the drug or a or an effect of the withdrawing the drug so uh, the spectrum really is uh, almost infinite and it depends on the actual interaction of the drug with a specific brain uh, there are no rules of thumb here it's a stimulant yes uh, but it's very important what kind of brain that drug is interacting with to really predict what kinds of, of effects we're going to see Dr. Ruben Baylor is with the U.S. National Institute on Drug Abuse, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Dr. Baylor, thank you very much for the time and access. We My appreciate pleasure. it. My pleasure. Thank you. Mackling McGarry and McNabb. Meth continues to dominate our conversations these days. And while officials work to come up with some sort of strategy that we're waiting for to try and deal with this crisis, there's a group of health professionals that are doing what they can to reduce the harm it is causing in Manitoba, in particular to people who might not even know they're taking meth. What do we mean by that? Well, that's where Project Safe Audience comes in. That's a group of nurses who travel to different clubs and raves in Winnipeg and Manitoba to test illicit drugs in hoping of help 
in hopes of helping people party more safely. Ryan Coach is with Project Safe Audience and joins us over the phone now. Good morning. Good morning. How's it going? We're very good. Thank you. You were out on Saturday. What were you doing? Yeah, so we were uh, we were set up at an event uh, this weekend. Uh, we're just doing some uh, supply distribution as well as offering our uh, drug checking service at this event. What are you finding in the majority of drugs that you're checking? So uh, a pretty like a pretty decent amount of the uh, substances that we're checking are actually coming back positive for the presence of meth. Actually, about a fourth of all substances that were that are coming across our tables are coming back uh, positive for at least some meth in it. So what are you testing? Like what kind of drugs what would people be taking and then they, I'm assuming, aren't wanting to take meth, but find, you're finding meth in those drugs? Yeah. So the majority of substances that we, we check at our service would be MDMA, cocaine and LSD. So uh, a large majority of the cocaine that's coming across is coming back positive for methamphetamine. So that's really where we're seeing a lot of the, uh, the cutting happening with, uh, with uh, meth. Bryce, a lot of people are going to be, A, dumbfounded by that statistic, but maybe even more so a step back is that this is something that medical professionals are actually doing. They'll see it as a condoning this action by young people. What do you say to those? Well, yeah, like so. These are these are uh, people who are already choosing to take these substances. Like, it's not it's not so much we're going there and telling that people that they should be taking these substances, but these are people who have already made the decision to take it. And so we're just trying to make that a little bit safer. Really, the um, the the research behind trying to get people to do an abstinence-based sort of policy when it comes to substance is not working. People. People don't really uh, follow an abstinence-based thing when it comes to these substances. So that's the population we're working for. We're working with the people who uh, are not choosing to stop taking these substances but want to take extra steps to make themselves safer. So, Bryce, you, when you go to these places, can you just maybe uh, explain a little bit further how it works, like how these drugs are, are coming across your yeah. path? Yeah, for sure. So we set up a booth at these events, and then we'll have people who will self-disclose to us that they are uh, using substance and they would like to get their substance checked. So we'll bring them back into a private area and uh, have our where our system set up there, and we'll uh, use a reagent-based system to ch- uh, check their drugs. So essentially, it's adding a uh, liquid to the sample, and that sample will change color depending on what is present in the substance. So that's kind of how we get uh, get our contact in at these events. And are most of them coming to you for the test because they're concerned about me- the presence of meth in their drugs? Is that the one that's causing the worry? Yeah, that's, that's, that's usually the biggest worry for most people, but also fentanyl as well. We also offer fentanyl, uh, fentanyl dipstick testing as well. So that's people are very concerned about as well, but we haven't really seen any positive, um, positive results for fentanyl. It's mainly been meth. And do you know, do you have a sense as to why that's ending up in, in all sorts of other drugs? Uh, for the for the meth, well, it's, it's cheap. It's it's really cheap at this moment. So around uh, so meth is going for about uh, ten bucks a point, and even less, and a point's about a hundred milligrams. So that's really cheap uh, prices. It's really simple economics of why it's sort of uh, uh, going into a lot of the uh, drug supply. It's much cheaper than cocaine. It's much cheaper than other drugs. So it's uh, it kind of makes sense of why it's being added to a lot of these substances. And is that on the cost side, or are they trying to make the dealers or whoever's cutting this into the ecstasy or the molly, the MDMA, whichever you want to call it, are they looking to have their product stand out in terms of how potent it is to get more customers to get their um, customers addicted what's the play here 
by the by the dealers here. So so we don't really first of all we don't really see it too often in MDMA. It's mainly the cocaine we see it quite frequently in, and it's because uh, methamphetamine has a very similar effect to cocaine. It just lasts lasts much longer. So a lot of people a lot of people are thinking that what they have is actual good cocaine, but what it is is it's actually methamphetamine that just lasts longer in their system. I don't think it's a, a sort of a ploy to get them like uh, more addicted to them. They're both very uh, addicting substances themselves, but it's more of a sort of a cost uh, perspective. So cocaine can be a quite an expensive drug, especially because it needs to be shipped from pretty far places. Well, methamphetamine is a bit more, it's a bit cheaper to produce and it's, uh, it's similar to the effects in cocaine. So it can, you can really pass it off as a very similar substance to a person who doesn't understand what they're taking. While you've been at these parties, have you encountered any individuals who have experienced in front of you negative effects from these drugs? Yeah, we've had some people get a get a bit uh, get a bit uncomfortable with on some of the uh, substances out there, and um, and it can be if you're expecting one substance and you take it and it ends up being something else, that can cause a pretty like traumatic effect to you because you were expecting a certain experience and that's not what ended up happening. What do you say to those uh, Bryce who say, "Well, too bad," you're you know, in their opinion, these people are making a poor choice to begin with. Well, it's, it's kind of a kind of a kind of a like um, poor way to kind of look at it. It's uh, these are people too, and these are people who make this decision. And really, to be honest, like if we're looking at people who consume alcohol, that's like a bit more of a destructive. Uh, that's a pretty destructive drug in itself. But people still uh, still t- like take that one, and we still treat those people with uh, with uh, respect and uh, offer them services. So why not treat uh, treat this population with it? And really, uh, population is defined by how how well it treats its like sort of. Um, most needy members, and I would rather be on the side of the population that uh, offers health services to the people who need it most. Bryce Coaches with Project Safe Audience joins us live on 680 CJOB. Bryce, thanks for joining us and telling us about what you do. Thanks for having me on. Just got to quickly reset here in case you missed it moments ago. This is uh, what happened in terms of the fish puns. I'm not a shy fish, I'm very coy. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Forth, I'm actually Googling fish puns while wow, you guys talk. I love puns. Boy. If you can think of a better fish pun, let me know. Oh my God! <laughs> <laughs> Stop it! <laughs> and we are getting some great fish puns from our listeners. I can't believe you tackled that on the air. Oh, oh and they're schooling me. Oh, gee, come on! Oh, Kelly, stop groaning. Our listeners have been lured in. They're waiting with bated breath, according to at least one of our listeners at 780-6868. But we move on. <laughs> yeah, you cod to be joking. Just get on with it for the halibut. So, Greg, if money weren't an obstacle, where would you go? Uh, for me, I would spend as much time as I could uh, investigating and traveling through Normandy and through Dieppe and the Netherlands, investigating and and embracing the history of Canada in, in wartime. I think uh, such a special part of our history. And I think economics plays a huge role. It's a it's a it's something that prevents a lot of us that would like to go and spend two or three weeks and get in touch with that part of our history yeah. from doing it. So if financial implications were something that I didn't have to worry about, that, that's exactly what I would do. Well, adventure tourists with money in the bank have a new bucket list travel item, a spot on a submarine diving 3,800 meters down to the rusting remains of one of history's most iconic shipwrecks. Yeah, week-long expeditions to the Titanic are set to depart from St. John's, Newfoundland, Labrador this June in the 
first manned surveys of the decaying vessel since 2005. A ride on the aptly named Titan submarine costs just over $168,000. That's Canadian per ticket. Ross Lord of Global Halifax takes us for a dive. Renata Rojas has been diving since the age of 12. With her mind on a shipwreck she never thought she'd see in person. Going to Titanic has been a dream of mine since I'm a child. I actually wanted to find the wreck, but somebody beat me to it. So I changed my career to banking, and I've been looking to go to Titanic ever since. Her dream is about to come true. A company that owns the only private manned research submarine that can dive to Titanic's three-kilometer depth plans to take visitors, beginning in May of next year. Rojas has been selected to go for the cost of $105,000 American. After inflation, that's about the same price as a first-class parlor suite on Titanic's first and only voyage in 1912. I've saved a lot of money over time. I don't own an apartment. I don't own a car. The expedition will include 50 or more passengers departing from Newfoundland in six eight-day trips. But it's not your typical sightseeing. This is not a tourist um, operation. Each passenger will get an assignment. Some will operate the sonar or communication systems. Others will be tasked with photographing potentially precious antiques. Their personal artifacts are, are scattered across the seafloor. And so that, there's not a lot known of sort of the nitty-gritty of that. If it didn't make it in the newspaper, it often wasn't documented. For Rojas, it'll be even more exhilarating than this recent wreck dive at Newfoundland's Belle Island. I'm very excited to participate in an uh, expedition where you actually take an active role in the expedition. Um, you know, you don't go all the way up there to, uh, to just watch. Their first priority is documenting the Titanic's current condition to measure the rate of decay. A long-term goal is using small robots to get inside. A never-ending effort to feed public interest in the luxury liner whose demise still fascinates more than a century later. Ross Lord, Global News. Halifax. $168,000 to take a tour of the Titanic. If you can afford it, that sounds cool. Obviously, we can't. But if you could afford it, what would you do? Where would you go, Jeff Braun? I would do that Titanic thing. I really like the sound of that. I don't like that they make you work on it. Yeah. <laughs> I'd spend an extra 20000 and not have to do anything but watch. But, but that seems like a good deal. That actually seems like a pretty cheap price for what you get to do. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't you know what the cost still need to like, win the lottery to do it, but. Well, they have 54 spots, and yeah. I think there's only like a few that are open. They've pretty much sold out. So clearly, I mean, obviously, there's lots of people with money to burn out there. But I don't know. I don't. I have. I, I don't like going more than two feet down in the ocean. That alone, how many feet that it's might like gotta be? Got to be a pressurized sub, though. It's a different deal. You know what I mean? No, I understand. I just, I just, I don't want to be down that deep. I think there's things down there that we don't <laughs> need to see at all. Kraken. They have Celine Dion playing gently in the background. No, that doesn't help me, Kelly. No, no. doesn't make a difference. No, I don't. My I, heart will go on. No, on, on. I don't want to see it. I, 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 I get why people are curious and like want to go, but I'm more just my fear would keep me from doing it, even if I had the money. Kelly, if there's sorry, if there's artifacts and like teapots and stuff at the bottom, doesn't it stand the reason that there's bones and stuff at the bottom too? I maybe something happened to those people. Yeah, I don't. Mm. I don't know. Anyways, how enjoy long your breakfast, everybody. Bones <laughs> 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 and disintegrate in salt water. But thanks, Jeff. Kelly, uh, what would you do? I, uh, you know, I think I would probably like to uh, maybe take a visit to the Mediterranean. That's one area that I haven't been to, and uh, and I've heard it is an absolutely beautiful part of the world. So that would probably be the the thing I would take a look at. Forte. Now I don't know if I'd want to 
go into space, but I know they have one of those planes where it flies up high and then it kind of dives down so you feel weightlessness. Yeah. I think that'd be fun. I would like to do that. But you wouldn't yeah. want to go all the way into space. Nah, that's a little too scary. You know what they call that that vessel? They call it the Vomit Comet. <laughs> and, and uh, at least yeah. that's the current virgin, version of it. Virgin is launching its own lower orbit vessel in the next year. So I think, in fact, maybe as early as this summer, you mm. might be able to go up and experience that with Would uh, you pick space over the sea? Like, which which interests you more, going deep down underwater, like the Titanic? I or think I'd rather be one? in space. That too. way you can see the whole yeah. Earth. And space just... seems less scary to me than going deep into the ocean. I think there's more stuff to see in the ocean, though. Come on, man. I'm up in space. <laughs> I got the it's whole just, world to look at. Just, uh, it's just the sky. Yeah, just, I'm up we know what looking. space looks like. You don't know what's under the Don't you? No. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want you guys to keep going back and forth, but I really want to know what Brett's going to do if he has endless sums of money at his disposal. Well, I've never been to Europe, so I'd like to take a complete tour of Europe, but do it like not on the cheap. You know, you hear a lot of people talk about taking these backpacking tours or what have you. Nothing against that, but I think one of the reasons why people do that kind of stuff is so they can take in a lot of Europe on and but with the money that they have. I'd like to to go and enjoy the luxury and just just, just go, go and, and kick have some fun. bass. Yeah. That's oh, see, some fishing. Oh, fish the look pun. on McNabb's face there was of genuine joy and excitement because it was a fishing pun. But yeah, I would just like to go to Europe and see the whole place and uh, stay in all the fanciest hotels and eat at the nicest spots and and uh, not worry about just not have a care in the world. Sounds fantastic. I guess golfing too. There'd be a lot of golf oh, on that trip. Now you do need some money if you're golfing in Europe. You're going to yeah. need some serious coin. And if you do do one of those bus tours, do try not to do what I did when I was like 25 and I thought I was booking ourselves on the young people's tour and got on this bus and it was myself and like 40, 70 year olds okay. touring <laughs> Ireland together. What's the matter with 70 year olds? Oh, they loved that. We listened to so much da- Danny Boy over and over again. And did you misspell Contiki? I don't know what happened. The- I got on that bus and I was like, oh, (laughs) that's a lot of old people. (laughs) They must have loved you. They did. We had a great time. There you go. I'm sure you had a blast. What would you do if you had the money? 204-780-6868. You can text us right now. You can email Brett at cjob.com, Mackling at cjob.com, or McNabb at cjob.com. Or would you just spend all that money and try to invent a time machine, Greg, so you can go back in time? Well, that would be cool as well. One of our listeners said that they'd love to do this deep dive to the Titanic wreckage or go on the maiden voyage of the Titanic 2, which is scheduled in 2022. I wouldn't do that either. Tempting fate. You're just tempting fate. That whole ocean freaks me out. I'm just going to, I think I'm making that clear. Becoming a parent, yes. I don't want to be on it or underneath it. And before we talk about Complete exoneration. We just got to mention the kids. They're off this week, right? Yeah. <laughs> Why do you say it like that? I wish I was home right now. They're all excited for spring break and we got to work. And there's, I never seem to ever get time off around this time of year, which yeah. I don't think a lot of people do, to be honest. Yeah, I feel bad. <laughs> I'd be curious. No, I know, what you're, I know what you're thinking. You don't know what to do with them. Is that it? I have lots of ideas on what to do with them. 
Okay. All right. All joking aside, I wish I was off this week because I enjoy spending time with the boys. We had a couple of years ago, we had a staycation for spring break and we went to different museums. We went to different places. Every single day we did something differently and we had an absolute blast. But I, I feel like uh, every once in a while it'd be nice to, to get away mm-hmm. for spring break. We haven't done that for about five years. We went to Disneyland. We had such a neat time in California, but uh yeah. I'd like to know it's what people are doing week for this my week. boys this week. Because everyone, you don't get the time off. If you don't get the time off, what are you doing with their kids? If they're in that in-between zone of no daycare, but not quite old enough to stay home. I mean, how are you keeping them busy if you don't have family around? This is my conundrum every single year. It's a challenge for sure for lots of folks. Let us know what you're doing with your kids this week. 204-780-6868. Shoot us a text. U.S. President Donald Trump is calling a total vindication. There was no collusion with Russia. The most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. There was no collusion with Russia. There was no obstruction and none whatsoever. And it was a complete and total exoneration. Sort of. Uh, That's not exactly the full picture, although it's a very good day. He's waking up happy. You can guarantee that. The summary of the main findings of special counsel Robert Mueller's report found no evidence the Trump campaign colluded with Russia during that 2016 U.S. presidential election. But it did not fully exonerate Donald Trump. The exact quote from the summary of the report said, while this report does not conclude the president committed a crime, it also doesn't exonerate him. To help us understand what's happening here, we're joined by our Washington correspondent, Reggie Cicchini. Good morning, Reggie. Good morning. Okay, so first of all, this is a win for sure for the U.S. president. This is a big win for the president. I mean, wording is really everything when we're looking at this four-page report from William Barr. Uh, Basically, when he says that, you know, Robert Mueller's report shows that there was no evidence of any kind of collusion. Remember, this is a summary coming from the political appointee from Donald Trump making this summary about the special counsel's investigation. So those are words that we kind of have to be able to read into and in between each word. Outside of that, though, this is a big cloud that's been lifted off of the uh, off of the president, off of the White House, off of what was his one campaign and is going to be his campaign again and you just can imagine that he is going to run with this for the next kind of 20 months as we head into the next election. I know we've sort of given up on trying to figure out why Donald Trump does and says the things that he does but I have to ask you this it it, it confounds me that he gets this incredible piece of news yesterday but he has to go two or three steps too far and claim something that is exactly the opposite of what's true and what was in the Mueller report. Well, I mean, this is what Donald Trump does. I mean, you give him a little bit and he'll take as much as he can and then he'll take a little bit extra as well. The report specifically says that this does not exonerate Donald Trump, but in the eyes of the president and in the eyes of the press secretary who was making the rounds this morning on the media, again, fully saying that, look, this does exonerate Trump because they're basically trying to lay out the argument. If there was no collusion, there cannot be any obstruction. So let's not read any more into this, which is just legally and factually incorrect. You can be charged with obstruction without being charged with an underlying crime, they're simply not putting that narrative forward. At the end of the day, we what we're basing all this on, though, you said four pages, right? There's so much more to what was done in this investigation. Are we ever going to get that full picture and the full report? 
Well, that's what congressional Democrats and lawmakers are trying to push for right now, is that this entire report, this 22-month investigation, be laid out for the public to see. There are things that will need to be redacted, things that are linked to the grand jury, things that could be deemed uh, you know, a national security or counterintelligence measure will need to be redacted under executive privilege. Those things will never make it to the public's eye. But the White House and the president has already said they want this report laid out to the public so everyone can see it. However, knowing full well that there could potentially be information in there that maybe muddies up what the president has been saying about himself when it comes to this obstruction charge, the White House may try to redact some further things. So that's where this big fight is going to go with Democrats continuing and pushing on with investigations. You can imagine they're going to have William Barr come testify. You can imagine they'll have Robert Mueller come testify, because if we don't ever see this report, they want to know what that information is, that the president is not exonerated. There has to be some hand-wringing going on within the Democratic Party, though, about whether or not this is the appropriate course to go. We're only a year and a half and, and a few days away from 2020. Might it not be something that some Democratic Democrats are considering is just to, to leave this alone and to move on and to focus on 2020? I, I can't imagine that this is going to be a unanimous decision on which course to take next, Reggie. Absolutely. I mean, eggshells have been laid out in front of the Democrats, and they're going to be laid out for the next year and a half as they head towards this election. Remember, they basically said that what Robert Mueller is going to come back to with this investigation when they believed that there would be bad things in it was gold. And now they're basically trying to make sure that they're not kind of making the face of biting down on a sour grape by saying, well, it's not exactly what we wanted, but, you know, we're going to have to keep looking at this. On the other side, when they went into the 2018 elections, they barely talked about this investigation at all, and they ran on domestic policy. And they ran on kind of looking at a foreign policy picture as well. So Democrats really have to tread lightly whether or not they're going to pay attention and fully, you know, kind of drum up and dig up this investigation and what Robert Mueller had said going forward or talk about some things that uh, that the electorate might actually be more interested in, like health care. So this is a big balancing act that the Democrats have to kind of pay attention to as they look forward, because this could come back to bite them. Global's Reggie Giacchini joining us live this morning from Washington. Reggie, thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, Jeff Braun joins us to talk about this. If we want to knock people on their asses, then we've got to give them a show. I'm talking like a stadium show in the clubs. The fans, they're dying for some anarchy. So let's give it to them. Jeff Braun, co-host of The Couch Potatoes, is here. I went out to see the movie Us in theaters. Meanwhile... Jeff Braun, Craig Mackling, Loren McNabb, and Jeff Forte all watched The Dirt on Netflix. Jeff Braun, what is The Dirt? The Dirt is the uh, biographical motion picture about the rock and roll band Motley Crue. Based on a book? Based on a book that they wrote called The Dirt, where uh, they recount some of the horror stories of growing up in a rock and roll band. And some of the dirty things they did in a rock and roll band. It's absolutely filthy. It is triple X rated. You read the book? I read the book. I own the book, yeah. And it's that's what's filthy in triple X? Oh, yes. And what would you say about the movie? The movie is also filthy in triple X. It's a terrible movie, though. Yeah. Even for a bad movie, it's a bad movie. Really? Yeah. Well, I've never seen an hour and 45 minute movie about a rock band that had so little music. to do with the music yeah. of the rock band. I, I don't know if it because I had watched 
watched Bohemian Rhapsody a few weeks ago, and I remember thinking at the time, this is only really good, in my opinion, because they had all the great music playing through it. And so we're watching um, the show on the weekend, and both my husband and I were like, we really want them to play some songs, like, or talk about how they got this song, or or, yeah. or what why the riff was the way it was in a certain one. Anything. I, anything. But it was... It was just, and, and it was it was done in their voices, like in a, they narrated. a narrated yeah. version. But they it sounded so cheesy and fake. Like I just two of it, those guys couldn't act their way out of a no, paper bag was, if you'd already pre-soaked like, the bag. And then I hit rock bottom. <laughs> nope, I hit rock bottom again. I was yeah. like, okay, you're terrible. Well, oh. this clearly made a huge impression on, on me because I thought it was called the Dirty. So I didn't even dirty. realize it was so didn't dirty. Didn't even realize the name uh, was not. The they didn't dirt. show it until the end. I don't like when they do that. Yeah, but, credits up. Okay. So, obviously, this was something that uh, I had to watch, being a Motley Crue fan since the time I was 14. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget the time I was sitting, uh, I'd bought the album downtown, and I was holding it like a child. Yes. It was the Shout at the Devil mm-hmm. album, and my stepfather, who's a little bit square at the time, says, are those guys or girls? And I had to look, <laughs> because I was pretty sure they were guys, but... When my stepdad asked me the question, I could not yeah. answer definitively one way <laughs> or the other. And I said, they're guys. For sure they're guys. I wasn't certain <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. But, yeah, it was a bad movie. Oof. But I I couldn't turn it off. No, me neither. I just It wasn't that long. So I was like, oh, I'll just ride this through to the end. But I was looking at my phone real quick. It was like, like an X-rated after-school special. I w- I'm surprised that you can just... I mean, I don't know. I guess if you got kids, there's different ways to cover up some of your Netflix stuff or whatever. Mm-hmm. I was like, it's it just felt weird that I could so easily click on something so foul without having to jump through right. any hoops whatsoever. And we watched it with our ha- one hand on the remote, <laughs> so if the kids came running upstairs, you'd be like, no, 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 stop, it, stop, because it was bad. Forte, what did you think of the dirt? Me? Well, I was I, was, oh, I can't speak today. <laughs> I was telling Braun um, that my expectations weren't very high, so because I just. You know, Jeff Tremaine was the director, and he did Jackass, so I wasn't really <laughs> expecting anything big. So when I saw it, you know, it is it is what it was. I enjoyed it, but yeah, it wasn't very good. Okay, I, I would point out, my girlfriend watched it, she liked it. I just, I didn't really have any interest in, in watching it. Not, no. not because I dislike Motley Crue or anything, I just have all the things I have to watch, that's, that's way down at the bottom of my list. There's literally no reason to watch it unless you're... Quite a big Molly Crew fan. Mm-hmm. I pressed play. Fifteen seconds in, I said, "Well, I guess we'll be watching that after everybody else goes to bed." <laughs> yeah, that first scene. Trashy band gets oh. trashy movie. Oh God! I went to see another movie though this weekend. There's a family in our driveway. Can I help you? What are you people? It's us. So, Jeff, I can tell you, you were wondering, is this going to be too scary for yep. you to see? Too gory? Not gory at all. Right on. There, There is violence, and oh, yeah. people do die yep. brutally, but I think you can watch it. I was expecting this to be great, and I was kind of sad to come out of there thinking, well, that was good, but not great. It was the big winner this weekend at the box office, $70 million. It's at 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. When Get Out came out two years ago, I mean, that movie was exciting, fresh, yeah. original. Did you see it, McNabb? Yep. Backling, yeah. did you see Get Out? I did see Get Out, yeah, yeah. and I watched the entire thing. Yeah, but I thought I was going to be scared out of my uh, pajamas, but I was not. I really enjoyed it. It was a great movie. Do you yeah. think it's a case of where no one had any expectations for Get Out, so 
it was easy to get behind it. And now yeah. for this one, that there's high expectations. I, I think so. Yeah. Well, yes and no, because with Get Out, one of the reasons why it worked so well is because on just on the surface, it was a great popcorn thriller yep. that told a great story. Under the surface, though, if you want to get under the surface, there was so much more in terms of its symbolism, its commentary. But if you don't care about that stuff, the movie still works. Us, I would argue, doesn't work quite as well. That it almost demands you go under the surface. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I actually like to go home when I have tons of questions. I like to go home and read about it. I just found myself not caring about what I was reading. There are some great things about it. Amazing dual performance from Lupita Nyong'o. Just chilling, like super creepy, Oscar-worthy. If she's not in the Oscar mix, I will be very surprised. Elizabeth Moss from Mad Men, Handmaid's Tale. She's got a small role, but she hits it out of the park. Just tons of dread, suspenseful, thrilling. And even this music right now, the 90s classic hip-hop song, I Got Five on it. Well, they turned it into a scary theme song. That is creepy. Yeah, that's good. It works so well, but it just left too many questions, and I just found myself thinking, is this too much for the average moviegoer? So I'd like to know if you saw it. Let us know what you thought. I did ask some people on Facebook, and they all were like, genius, brilliant, it's amazing. I imagine it being impeccably shot and brilliantly edited. Yeah, it was That's very, the way I imagine it. Very well-crafted film. I just wonder if it was too much. So, <laughs> Jeff, you're smarter than I am. Ugh. I would, uh, if you ever do watch it, let me know what you think. Because you, you get into, you like to really get into the... Well, with, if it's very scary, I probably, that stuff just goes over my head. I'll, I watched it through my fingers like this. <laughs> and... <laughs> so he's not going to be able like, to I'll miss some. I'll miss a lot of exactly. it. Right exactly, exactly. The big thing over the weekend, Greg, had to do with the North American Ice Hockey League Championships. And the Winnipeg Jets will officially compete in that tournament starting April 9th. We don't know when the Jets will start, but we do know that they will be in the playoffs for a second consecutive season. Kelly Moore, what say you about the game on Saturday night? An impressive result. Yeah. Did, did the score match the effort and the and the work Ethic on the ice? Yes, it did. And for my money, that was the most complete performance by the Winnipeg Jets this season uh, for a couple of reasons. And, and I mean, the score factored into it somewhat, but Connor Hellebuck did not have a routine shutout. He had 33 saves mm-hmm. and there were some difficult stops involved there. What I probably liked the most about that game is how the Jets did not even blink an eyelash uh, over the long delay with the goal being disallowed uh, on the uh, high tip by Kelly Yarncrock. Instead, what do they do? They come down, they dominate, and they score and pretty much take over the the hockey game from that point. they didn't take a penalty no, the they, entire game, which exactly. was impressive. Well, you know what? I thought the referees kind of sat back and, and looked at the situation and said, okay, first place is on the line. We've got two teams that mm-hmm. are rivals that just met in a seven-game series last year. Unless the two teams force us to become involved. Right, or start complaining and saying, yeah, are you going to call yeah, that or yeah, what? Yeah, let's just let them play. And, uh, you know, there was... There were a couple of incidents there where I, I thought uh, maybe uh, you know Winnipeg got away with a little something and Nashville got away with a little something. But I like the idea that they allowed them to play, uh, and also you know the the little tinkering that went on with that uh, second line, if you will, Kevin Hayes. 
and, and Kyle Connor uh, being joined by Patrick Lyonet after they'd had the rough game uh, the night, well, two nights earlier in Vegas. That line you know, was like a minus 10, I think, combined in the 5 nothing loss. And then they just turned out uh, right around against Nashville. So do we look now, are we already looking ahead? At, say the season was over today. Who, who Dallas. Does, it would be Dallas that we yeah, play. Yeah, so that, tonight is a, a big, potential big. playoff preview. Okay, so yeah. we should watch for that to see how we do against them. And then if we if it wasn't, you know, like what's next on the list to watch for? Dallas, then who? Well, it, you never go. Hey, don't you, do that. No, <laughs> I did this earlier today, and I was like, I'm going to sound like a player and say, don't look too far ahead, right? Well, no, but you because the Dallas Stars have an excellent net miner in Ben Bishop. Uh, they have an outstanding number one line in Alex Radulov with Jamie Ben and T- Tyler Sagan when they're playing together, and they also have a defense that can really move the puck. And they've won two out of three games against the Winnipeg Jets this year in a homer series. So. <laughs> I would, when you look straight across the board, other than maybe if you're the Tampa Bay Lightning, I don't think you look ahead beyond what is immediately in front of your nose. Now, the Jets, a magic number to clinch first place in the Central is four. four. That's so right. That so means any, a combination of four Winnipeg Jet victories or Nashville regulation losses totaling four. So, you know, if Nashville was to lose in a shootout or lose in an overtime, well, and, and Winnipeg wins tonight, well, then That's the number's actually half. got a two and a half. Yeah. <laughs> That's just the way it works with, right. the, with the bonus points that are involved. Right. So yeah. the, the Jets uh, are going to be doing exactly what you say, taking one game yeah. at a time. Are they going to be looking to send a message tonight with the possibility that they play Dallas? Or, or what's, what's no. the mindset here? I, and again, this is going to sound very cliche, but I think it is absolutely essential for teams not not to worry one iota. I mean, you make minor adjustments, but the focus has to be on playing the kind of game or getting close to playing the kind of game that you anticipate you will in the postseason. That's all that matters. Now, the result generally takes care of itself. But if you do want to look ahead, Loren, well, that final road trip of the regular season, the Jets could have a great influence on who makes the final, who gets that final playoff Mm -hmm. spot because they play in Minnesota, they play in uh, Colorado, and they play in Arizona. And all three are on the bubble. And those are the three teams that are separated by two points for that last playoff spot. So You mentioned playing the hockey that you want to play. Right. I would argue the Jets have been doing so since the 1st of March, since that 5-3 win against Nashville. You might go earlier. Maybe that starts later for you. But are the Jets playing the type of hockey that will be necessary for them to win some games in the playoffs? Yeah, they're starting to on a consistent basis. They have the blip mark against Vegas on Thursday night. Sure. But for the most part, though, the, and, and again, you have to come back to the fact that they are missing two very huge pieces on their defense, uh, you know, and have been for quite some time. So the fact that they've been able to play uh, the way they have through uh, most of March uh, and the way they're trending going into the playoffs, uh, I, I would say that, uh, you know, they have to be very pleased. Uh, and, and look at Connor Hellebuck goes 54 starts without a shutout, and then back-to-back starts, not games played, but back-to-back starts, he gets a goose egg. Go figure. And you mentioned that they're they're starting to play games that will win them in the playoffs, but how well does it bode for the Winnipeg Jets that they're atop their central division and they're just now starting to play that well like that that to me that's that sounds like a really good thing that despite the fact that they have been playing the best they're still 
tops yeah. in, in their division. Yeah, and, and when I say that, Brett, I mean more on a consistent basis as opposed to, you know, they during uh, January, they played really well. That's what put them in a position to be able to withstand a so-so yeah. February, yeah, mm-hmm. and and still be in first place. Now, they had some cooperation from some of the other teams, but, uh, yeah, I, I just think also you get into a certain mindset uh, as a hockey club, if you have a little bit of a po- postseason portfolio behind you, which the Jets were able to kind of put together a little bit of that getting to the Western Conference Final last year. So I, I think that they're they're building towards this. Uh, but tonight, is, you know, every, every game is a new test. It also tonight, again, will be a, a really good test. And Brett, they're... Um, uh, Greg, probably more to your question. I think they might be a little more jacked. I think there'll be just as much of a buzz in the building tonight because of the potential playoff preview uh, that there might not be if it was another team. So we were we were hearing noises in the uh, newsroom this morning. There were kind of beeps. That's the Brinks truck backing up to uh, Kyle, Connors. Kyle Connors' house. <laughs> <laughs> Thirty-two goals, man. He is going to get paid. McNabb, would you go on a cruise? No. <laughs> just, That's a hard no. Definitive. I think I've made it clear. Like I like the ocean. I like to I like to swim in the ocean, but I like to see the shore, and I definitely don't want a scenario where I'm at sea and I can't see land. Well, perhaps you've heard the story of the Norwegian cruise ship that was knocked around like a ping pong ball after becoming disabled last week. The Viking Sky ran into engine trouble in an unpredictable area of the Norwegian coast. Passengers, including more than a dozen Canadians, have been rescued after spending nearly 24 hours stranded at sea. Global's Mike Armstrong has more. For some of those on board the Viking Sky for its harrowing ordeal, it was when safely on shore that the tears started flowing. Were we afraid during the night? Absolutely. But when we hit land, it was like, we're going to be okay, and that's when we got emotional. Now, there were dozens of injuries, from cuts and bruises to broken bones. 20 people had to be taken to hospital. But there was a time on board when no one knew if the ship would make it. When its four engines failed Saturday around lunchtime, the Viking sky was out of control. At this point, rocking back and forth, the ship was being pounded by 70-kilometer-an-hour winds and tossed around by waves 8 meters high was so bad, the seas so rough, the lifeboats couldn't be used. Get that on video. Some passengers say they were waiting to see if the ship would capsize, sink, or run aground. We could see that we were getting blown in towards some rocks. That was the most frightening thing, I think. According to police, the ship came within 100 meters of running ashore. It was very nearly a disaster. Instead, at the last minute, some of the engines appear to have come back online. The ship moved away from shore and dropped anchor. Six helicopters were moved in to pull passengers off the ship. They did it over and over, rescuing nearly 500 people. The guy came down from the helicopter, snapped my belt and said, hold it, and shot me up about 100 feet in the air and onto the helicopter. They didn't leave us enough time to be as scared as we probably should have been. (laughs) The ship was eventually tugged to safety, pulled into the port city of Mold. Now come the questions. What happened to the Viking Sky's engines, but also what was it doing out during such rough weather? According to Norwegian media reports, there were other ships whose captains had decided the forecast was too dangerous. Whatever happened, the ship's not going anywhere for a while. 
The company says passengers will start being flown home tomorrow. That includes 15 Canadians. And the Viking Sky's next voyage has been cancelled. Mike Armstrong, Global News. Mackling, you ever been on a cruise? I've not, and I'd have to admit this might not have me running out and <laughs> booking a cruise in the next several weeks or months, maybe even the next handful of years. I've only been on a cruise once. It was the Norwegian Pearl, and I want to say this was 2012, I believe. We uh, set sail from Miami, and we went to we stopped at an island in the Bahamas, which I believe actually was owned by the cruise line. Oh, wow. It was just a small island. We basically just, it was a stop at the beach. And then uh, Jamaica, Cayman Islands, and finally Mexico, Cozumel, Mexico. And it was amazing. I loved it. I loved every second of it. Uh, the, the only, the, the, the worst parts of it were the beginning and end. It was kind of tedious getting on to the cruise. And we were the first ones on because uh, we it was for a wedding. And we had to get on the, the ship first because they had to be married before the ship left. So it was still considered U.S. soil. Oh, oh neat. neat. Okay. I guess because if you get married at sea, then you have to fill out all kinds mm-hmm. of medical paperwork. And all, huh. we, so it's, there's like red tape you have to run through. So it was easier to just get on the ship, do it before we left. And uh, by the time that it actually did take off, then we were already well into our day and having a good time. But uh, I loved it. I thought it was great. It was, I would happily go back. One of the things I liked about being on a cruise was the days where you weren't stopping for an excursion or what have you. When you go out on the, the top deck and you look around and see nothing but water, I found it truly relaxing. And the fact that I was completely cut off, like I, I could have paid for Wi-Fi, but it was exorbitant. The mm-hmm. cost for Wi-Fi was a lot. So it's so. a real vacation because you aren't tethered then. Correct. Oh, I'm getting stressed just imagining being that cut off and shut No, I love it. I, I am a big fan of not, I put my phone in the safe like at the hotel. Do you? There. Yep. I just, it's good to Take a break. Yeah, take a real break. If, you're if your phone's right. your entertainment, then that's a difference. Like, yeah. I will still pick up a different device and read on it, you know, a Kindle or whatnot. But but I really try very hard to put the phone away or not enable the Wi-Fi. I think I need a detox based on what you just said. And I've come back around. Didn't take long for me to flip around on the cruise because you, you I, when you talk about things like that, I... I I take your opinion on these things very, very seriously. And if you tell me you enjoyed it like oh, that, yeah. you're a fussy guy, I think. And so if you enjoyed it, I think I just might enjoy it myself. Well, and it's important for me, too, because of just how tethered I am to my phone. I have a hard time even just enjoying an hour of television without picking my phone up 19 times. Jeff Braun has often lamented about this as well, where it takes him two and a half hours to watch a one-hour show because he's always on his phone. So the ability to be able to just, well, not, I guess the inability to use the phone forces you to just do what you're there to do, which is relax. And on a cruise, there are so many ways to do that. If you want to go sit by a pool, you can do that. I'm not really a sit by the pool guy. So I would just walk around the ship. There was a a net where I could hit a golf club. Uh, They had a rock climbing wall, a volleyball court. Tons of restaurants, uh, like really good restaurants. The food's too. as good as they say, oh, typically. Yeah. yeah, the food was great. There was really cool entertainment on the ship. There was a bowling alley. Come uh, on. And I was on like the the Pearl. isn't even the it wasn't even close to their flagship, but it it was a huge ship. So I loved it. I would love to. This just stresses me out more. Like it doesn't make sense that something can float when it has a bowling alley and nineteen pools and four hundred <laughs> restaurants in it. Not to mention seventeen thousand people. I'm making up all these numbers, you but are. it's a 
floating bowling alley? Come on. I think it was 1,700 people. So you're on the right track. Thank you. Well, doesn't matter. Too many things on one boat. Why is it floating still? (laughs) When you're bowling, when you're bowling on the boat, do you have to take in account any of the listing or movement of the boat? Like, would it affect your hook and your ability to make a shot? Or could you just wait for a little bit and the boat shift somewhat and then the pins just fall over on their own? Nothing we, like that? Now that I think about it, we didn't actually try the bowling, uh. which kind of upsets me because I wanted, I was curious to see <laughs> if there would be any effect uh, because of the ship. But you could barely feel it moving. It, like, when you're in bed, you could feel a very gentle... Rocking almost, but not really. Like it wasn't enough to make you seasick. If anything, it was the getting off the ship onto the ferry, which would then take you into, I believe, for that one, it was the Bahamas. Those waters were rocky. And once you got on that ferry, that was dicey. And even I felt a little like, whoa, my stomach is not enjoying this right now. So, but yeah, I loved it. I would love to see different parts of the world uh, like that. Uh, Even the Maritimes, I think you can take cruises through the Maritimes if I'm. I'm pretty sure that that's a way to do that. So I think it's a great way to 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 see many parts of the world. Like I got to visit four countries good in point. a week. Yeah, that's really I a got good to point. Swim with stingrays in the Cayman Islands. Oh yes, this that story is familiar now. Yeah, so that I think it's cool. But you hear all kinds of horror stories like this. Yeah, I and swam with the sick. stingrays in Cayman Islands, but we took a normal boat that you know that fits like five people. And went out to the stingrays. Well, that's so yeah, that's flying on an airplane there. across the ocean is Safer. not a big deal. Agreed. But the but yep. the vessel that was created seven hundred yes. years ago or more <laughs> right. to move pay, people yep. on the ocean defies is, logic to me. Yep. Okay, well, great. <laughs> yep. Nope. Just making sure we're on the right page yeah, here. The page I'm on is not on a cruise page. <laughs> Would you take a cruise? Text us two zero four seven eight zero. Lots of people have. They're telling us they love it. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.